Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. I want to welcome you to the show today. I hope you've got your cup of coffee as I do. And before we start, I always want to thank my sponsor, Gems of Jaipur Jewelry. I am wearing it and you can get a 25% discount on any of the jewelry. Just very quickly, I want to tell you, this is a mission for Tina Jacobson who started it. She went to India as a businesswoman. She found the poverty. She saw a leper community and she decided she was going to pivot. And now she went from a businesswoman to a mission-hearted endeavor that's making a difference in the world. So I want to thank her for being my sponsor and tell you take advantage of 25% discount. All you have to do is go to gemsofjapur.shop and put in my name, Valerie. And when you go to check out with that subject line, Valerie, you will get a 25% discount. So thank you so much. Today is really an unusual program because I have someone on the show that I admire greatly as a keynote speaker, an inspirational man, a man of faith, and first a businessman. So I want to welcome Kevin Brown. So glad to have you with us today, Kevin. Thanks, Valerie. Great to be with you. You know, uh, you have taken your time to be with us today, and I'm going to let you start by telling your story that we talked about in the pre-interview, how you went from being a businessman, a very successful businessman that helped a company make, what, $2 billion? Take us from what you did there to what you're now doing, Kevin. Yeah, thank you for that. I uh, I got really blessed. I was really fortunate to uh, to find a place to land in my career. I spent uh, the last 20 years of my career, 32 years in all in the franchise world, but really the last 20 years with a, a little known family business that they kind of took me in. They, they adopted me into the fold, so to speak. I was one of two non-family executives in this company. And, and we had the great, uh, the great blessing of being able to build that company into a multi-billion dollar enterprise. And along the way, we were able to help a lot of people. It was a business that was in disaster restoration. So when life was at its worst, our people were at their best and they would show up and literally help people put their lives back together when they were broken. So for us, it really wasn't about the money as much as it was about the impact. How far could we reach? How many lives could we impact by helping them in the midst of chaos, in the midst of crisis? And you know, of course, we've all been living through the, the most recent crisis, the pandemic. And so I think it was great preparation for me to make the leap, which I never thought I would make. I never in a million years dreamed I would be keynote speaking, traveling the world, sharing a story. I was very content in, in the job that I had and very happy to, to, to be there. And as you know, sometimes life has other plans for us. And so now for the last five years, I've been a full-time professional speaker and literally having traveled the world, sharing our story. You know, Kevin, it's so interesting when we talked and being a keynote speaker myself, you said that you never give the same speech twice, and yet you have one major 
message. Tell us about the hero effect and how that even came to be as a thing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. You know, as, as keynote speakers, as authors, as thinkers, you know, we're always looking for the next great piece of advice, the next piece of wisdom that we can give to people. And, and how do we wrap that up? How do we wrap that into a story that makes a difference? And mine all happened by accident. Back in 2007, long before speaking or keynoting was on my radar, 2007, I was asked to give a speech to 2,000 people people that happened to be in the restoration business. They were part of the organization that I was that I was among. And they asked me to actually keynote their conference. And up to that point, we had hired outside keynoters. And for this particular conference, the leadership, the ownership of the organization asked me if I would give a speech. And I remember this conversation like it was yesterday because the first thing I asked was, what do you want me to talk about? And they said, we're, we don't really know. What we can tell you is we don't want a stock speech. We don't want to hear the same old thing like leadership, vision, communication, or customer service. And frankly, I got a little bit nervous because up to that point in my speaking career, that's all I talked about was leadership, vision, communication, customer service. And I remember the conversation. I said, if you don't know what you want me to talk about, then tell me, tell me kind of what you're thinking. What would be meaningful? What would add value? to this room full of people. And that's a question that I've taken with me into my speaking career. I ask every, every organization during the planning process, the preparation process, I always ask, what can I do that would add value to this room full of people? And I, I asked that question that day and they said, you know, these people pour their entire lives into their communities. They help people when life's at its worst, they show up and they help make life better. And you know, as well as we do, a lot of our customers consider this group to be heroes. And when they said the word heroes, I remember I wrote it down, I circled it, I underlined it. And from that day until now, my life has never been the same. I've been carving out and digging out this idea of what it means to be a hero, which led to another question I wrote down that day, which was this, what does a hero look like? And I've been chasing the answer to that question since 2007. And it's taken me places that I never even imagined. And one of the things that I learned on this journey was that most people define heroes in the wrong way. Most people, if you ask anybody on the street what a hero looks like to them, they will say heroes are ordinary people who do extraordinary things. We have all heard it, we've all said it. And what I learned on this journey is that's absolutely incorrect. You see, we go through life sometimes and we say things that don't make a lot of sense. And what I learned is that's one of them because to buy into that definition of a hero, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, you have to first convince yourself that you're ordinary in the first place. And I don't think that's how it was drawn up. You and I talked about this on the phone. I don't think for one minute that our creator put us here to make an ordinary contribution. He most certainly didn't make you nor I or anyone else on this planet in an ordinary way. In fact, I think he created us with talents, gifts, and abilities as unique as our fingerprints. And I believe that we are here to use those gifts in the service of others. So we challenged that definition and we were given a new one. We firmly believe that heroes are extraordinary people who choose not to be ordinary. And that changed everything. You know, Kevin, we need as much inspiration as we can get. I just went onto your website after we talked and I encourage those who are watching and listening to do so because you have so many just quick little video clips. They're all amazingly 
inspirational, which leads me to say, and I will use this word, Kevin, I think you're anointed. And um, that's different than I'm just a motivational speaker because you didn't know how to speak. You didn't want to speak. You were a businessman who was out there selling, 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 getting success, success, success. Before all of this, in order to be inspirational, some things had to happen in your own life. I want you to go to the personal side of Kevin. What was your life like before all this? Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty much a mess, quite frankly. I, uh, I quit school in the ninth grade, and I had no college training. I, I went through a, a really dark period in my life from age 13 to 16. I was betrayed by an adult that I trusted very much and, and life got complicated. And I ended up homeless, I ended up helpless, I ended up hopeless. And if not for a mentor, if not for an angel, if not for a man named David who showed up in my life and began to shepherd me and to help me create a new storyline for my life. Because the storyline that I was chasing wasn't working. The storyline that life had given me wasn't taking me where I had hoped to go. And one of the things that my mentor taught me was that we always have control of the pen. When it comes to the pen and the storyline of our life, we have complete control over how we tell that story. And he was the first one to help me understand how to cast a vision. And this man taught me how to sell. He gave me a very definable skill set that I was able to take into the business world and everything from knocking doors and selling, cold calling, doing all of the stuff that a lot of salespeople did early in their career. I did all of it. I had doors slammed in my face. I had people cancel orders. I had people who gave up on our deal. And But this guy kept working with me. This guy never, ever quit on me. And he truly became like a second father in my life. And he was always teaching me. He was always growing me. And he was always helping me write another chapter in the story of my life to help me create something in the future that was so much different than my past. That was the greatest gift he gave me. He taught me how to sell, but most importantly, he taught me how to see. He taught me how to see a vision for my life that was different than my past. And he gave me hope and he gave me skills and he pushed me. And there were times I didn't like him very much. You know, leadership is a funny thing. We, we as leaders sometimes get caught in the trap of wanting to be popular. And what David taught me was that leadership is not a popularity contest. It's about potential. And when you help people find their true potential, you'll be the most popular leader on the planet. And that happens to, I wrote down, to be one of your teachable points of view, one of your lessons learned. Mm -hmm. Besides having a wonderful mentor, which I think you said, well, <laughs> came as an angel. <laughs> and we have those in our lives. We just have to, as you said, open our eyes and see them and appreciate them and then what you did was take in their advice. You know, Kevin, I'm dealing right now with a young man who I'm, I'm just doing everything I can to be that person that David was with you. And yet the difference is he doesn't get it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What do you do yeah. when you have people like that? You just earnestly would do anything to help and it isn't happening. Have you had those situations? Yeah, and I can tell you what David did for me. Early in our relationship, I, I, I pushed back. 
I, I ignored. I, I was content at that point in my life living in my past. I mean, I'd been dragging my past around for a long time. And I mean, from a 13 year old boy who was broken, dragging that, that darkness through life, using that as an excuse for not doing well, using it as a reason for not becoming better, using it as a way to, to not fulfill my destiny. And that's what David was given. That's what, that, that's what I showed up with, this giant bag of garbage. And it wasn't easy for David. And I'll never forget one of the turning points because I was, I was that kid. I was that young man who was, who was kind of, I, I was happy that he was willing to help me, but I didn't really want to do the work to change. And until you're willing to do the work to change, until you're, you're so discontent with where you are that you're willing to act, then nothing is going to change. And what had happened to me before David was that everybody else who tried to help me finally gave up. I had a lot of people who showed up in my life and they gave me a place to sleep. They gave me uh, an attitude adjustment when I needed it. And they, they tried to do all of those things, but I kept grabbing that 13 year old kid. And one day David and I had this, this major, major argument and I missed my numbers. I didn't, I didn't hit the goal and I started blaming my past. And I started talking about you, you don't know what it was like. You weren't there. You don't know what they did to me. And I will never, ever forget this because he looked me dead in the eye. Now, David was a crusty old sales guy from South Texas. He did not mince words. And he looked at me and said, I'm going to tell you something, son. When you came to me, you said you wanted to go somewhere new. But the entire time I've known you, all you've talked about is where you've been. And if you want to go somewhere new, truly, then I'll take you. But if you want to go back where you came from, you're going to have to go by yourself because I'm not interested in making that trip. And he said something that was powerful to me. He said, the past is a place of reference, not a place of residence. Now you want to talk about get my attention. That got my attention because the one person who, who still believed in me, the one person who saw something that I didn't see in myself was still willing to work with me, but he was about ready to walk. And that was truly the last lifeline I had in my life. And when he said that about the past, I decided in that moment I would do the work. And so sometimes we have to, we can love people, but we confront behavior. And David always loved me. He never stopped loving me, but he would confront the behavior and he was willing to have those hard conversations because until you're willing to do the work, there's, no, there's nothing that anybody else can do for you. That is extremely well said and very true. When you, um, when you're giving these keynote speeches, what's the one thing that maybe someone has come up and said to you that made a difference in what you were thinking or how you felt? You know, lots of people go up to speakers and say, oh, you did so good. You did. Has there been any time that someone came up to you and really blessed you? Uh, almost every speech, quite frankly, I have people that come up to me and there's something in my speech. There's something about my past or there's something about my experience that resonates with them that tethers itself to something in their soul or in their heart. And it's meaningful and they were prepared to hear it. And I had a gentleman the other day that came up to me and he said, I did not want to be here. I, I did everything I could to find excuses not to be here. And I can't imagine what my life would be like had I missed this. He said, I needed this more than you will ever know. 
and the gentleman had tears in his eyes. He didn't tell me why it resonated. He didn't tell me what he was going through, but he said, I needed to be here. And I feel like I was brought here for a very specific assignment and a very specific purpose. And I, I can't imagine what, what life would be like if I hadn't heard this because I needed this right now. And that happens a lot to me. And it's, it, it could be about my son. I have a special needs son who has autism, who is an amazing human. He is, he is full of superpowers in his own right. And he's, uh, he's just such a remarkable young man. And we owe all of that to his Wonder Woman heroic mother, who I've been uh, blessed to be married to for 25 years and a, a real life superhero who has transformed this kid's life. Sometimes people connect with that story. But people come up and they share their heart. And I think that's the power of stories, as you know, when we tell stories that are our truth, that are vulnerable, that we're willing to uh, open up our own heart and let people have a peek inside, maybe some of the dark places. Because sometimes as speakers, sometimes as, as authors and, and whatever, and I almost use the term thought leader, which I absolutely hate. I, I don't think we should strive to be thought leaders. I think we should strive to be thought starters. We shouldn't tell people what to think. We should give them something to think about. And I think sometimes we feel like we have to stand on stage and, and have all of the answers and be so polished and so buttoned up that people sit in awe of us. And the truth is every time I take the stage, I am in awe of the people who are in that room. And it, Les Brown used to say this all the time. He's like, look, there, there's more greatness seated than there is standing. And so it's, it's an honor to be with all of you. And the other thing about that audience, the reason I get nervous, I get terribly nervous before I speak. It doesn't matter if I'm in front of 100 people or 10,000 as I was in Sydney, Australia a year and a half ago. I always get nervous. And what I learned is that's a really, really powerful tool. And it's also a great reminder those nerves tell me that they are more important than I am to me. In other words, my ego hasn't taken over. And so when people invest their time to sit in those seats, when they put their phones down, which they, they all do, they put their phones down, they shut their laptops and they listen. And I really believe that that is, you use the word anointing. And that's the second time in two days that somebody has said that to me. But I think when you have a story that has been given to you and you're the gatekeeper, the messenger, and you know that the people in that room are there to hear something and that you are there to deliver something, that's a responsibility to a magnitude that's really, really hard to comprehend sometimes. Kevin, that's why I have you on the show because there's a million and one motivational speakers. I will never forget the day that um, I was at the National Speakers Association. I was a, a new keynote speaker. And at that time, everything in my life was pretty good. And I remember someone, a big name, from the platform saying, you have to have your signature story. You gotta have your signature story. And what he meant by a signature story was something tragic. And when we went to the tabletops, I said to the people, I don't have a signature story. I guess I don't have anything to say. And then unfortunately, later in life, I did have a signature story, but I don't play that. The point is, when you, and you are anointed, I will say that, 
because you just get up, you said, and you don't have any slides, you don't have any notes, you just talk. I want you to tell the audience how you do that. How do you do that? There are so many executives, Kevin, that need to have some training in presentation skills and what to say and how to say it and the PowerPoints. So talk to us about how you do the real stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, I think this is where we get into the, the conversation about gifting. You know, there's a lot of people, I, I have people come up to me after I speak, and you've had this too, where they come up and they say, oh gosh, Valerie, Kevin, I, I, I want to do what you do. I, I want to do what you do. And I remember John Maxwell said this one time, he said, a, a young man said, I want to do what you do. And John's response was, are you willing to do what I've done? And it, it's like, a lot of people want to want to have the noun, but nobody wants to actually be the verb. Nobody wants to actually be the one that takes action. You know, we want to have written a book, not write a book. We want to have given a speech, not give a speech and write a speech and to test a speech and to do all of those things. And so people come up to me and they say, oh, you're so lucky that you get to chase your passion for speaking. And it always makes me laugh because I always they're, they're stunned with my answer. I tell them speaking is not my passion. Speaking has never been my passion. Speaking is my gift. Golf is my passion, but nobody will, will pay me to do golf. So, so I, I use my gift to influence others. And I use my gift to share stories. Inside of my gift, I have discovered new passions for serving people and for connecting with people and for helping to move people from where they are to someplace new using story. And I cannot tell anybody how to do what I do. And I don't use PowerPoint, I don't use notes. It never comes out the same way twice. But the stories are my stories. They're my family stories. They're real life stories. Some of them tragic, some of them not. Some of them hysterically funny. And because I have a poor resting face, I don't look like I'm going to be funny. So when I am funny, it's, a, it's even funnier that I am funny. And so, the keynote is really, it's really a one man show. It's a roller coaster of emotion from the minute I walk on stage to the minute I walk off. And I, I, I let the message, I let the spirit lead when I'm on stage. I, it goes where it needs to go and it digs into whatever reserves I have to pull forth content or stories and uh, teachable moments, those points that maybe can be somebody else's survival guide. You know, I heard somebody say recently, your story might be somebody else's survival guide. And I thought, what a powerful, powerful thing to think about that your story, that your left turn in life or the things that didn't work out could actually help save someone else. You know, when I was when I was homeless, I lived in a car that I had inherited. It was a family car that I'd inherited. And I, I sat in that car, had a duffel bag full of everything I owned and there was still plenty of room in the bags. I didn't have that much, but one of the things that I had, I had a portable cassette tape player. And I remember I had just grabbed a handful of cassette tapes. To this day, I do not know where this tape came from because all the tapes I grabbed, I thought were music. There was a tape in there by Earl Nightingale called The Strangest Secret. And I will never ever forget pushing play and hearing this big booming voice say that you become what you think about all day long. And I didn't know that in that moment, that was truly one of the first mentors I had ever had. And you don't always have to meet your mentors. 
they don't even have to know that they are mentoring you. And a, a lot of people will say, well, well, you were lucky. You had mentors. You had people. Listen, early on, I didn't. Early on, I, I learned about mentorship through listening to tapes like Earl Nightingale and Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar and Les Brown. And I had no idea at that point in time as a 20-something kid that someday some of the greatest motivators on the planet would become uh, connected to me, that I would get to know them, that I would be mentored by them, that I would meet them in person. But for years, they mentored me from afar. And so I think when, when we think about being on stage, you said a lot of executives have trouble without their PowerPoints and their the crutches that we, we tend to lean on, whether it's videos or a lot of words on a slide. The, the reason I believe that's true is because most leaders are unwilling to be vulnerable. And vulnerability is the one thing that will endear people to you faster than anything else. When they know that you're real and that you truly don't think you have all the answers. Too many leaders think they, they need to know all the answers, know all the steps, have the entire plan. How many plans do you think were on the shelf in March of 2020 that, that completely became irrelevant when COVID took hold of our world? All those plans, the greatest plans, all went out the window and people had to figure out how to do it a different way because the goals didn't change, the path changed. And so I'm, I believe in planning. I think planning is good, but we can't become so rigid in the structure of, of what we do and how we do it that we forget why we do it and who we are because people don't come to us for what we do anyway. They come to us for who we are. And once we figure that out, I tell people the secret, if, I, if I'm going to give any piece of advice to a speaker, it's this. My success is direct, directly related to the amount of time I've developed this, this or I've, I've shortened this gap. The more I become on stage who I am off stage, everything changed. The more I closed that gap between who I am on stage and off stage, that changed everything. Because I don't have to stand on stage and pretend I'm a speaker. I just get to stand on stage and share my heart. That's pretty real. Now, here's what just happened. You spoke for, I don't know, maybe a couple of minutes. And I was watching your eyes, Kevin. And there is something about, you know, they say the eyes are the windows of the world, right? And as I'm sitting here today watching the camera in front of me, your eyes, there is something about them that just are mesmerized, meaning they're real. You're talking, but the eyes are talking. Have you ever met anybody where there's this smile, this big smile, and yet the eyes aren't doing much of anything? And those are the ones right. you wonder how many times they've given that talk <laughs> over and over and over again. So the realness comes through. You can see this, can't you, audience, just as I'm seeing it now. I, I have to ask you, if you had it to do over, would you have started earlier? No, no, I, I needed the preparation. I, it's funny, I heard a guy the other day, I was listening to a podcast, I can't even remember who the gentleman was, but he said something that was funny. He said, the biggest piece of advice that I can give you about success is to start before you're ready. 
And I thought about that. I was out for a walk and I thought I pondered that for the rest of the walk because on the surface that sounded right. But this goes back to what I said in the beginning. As we get older, as we get more professional and successful, sometimes we say things that don't make a lot of sense. And start before you're ready is actually impossible. Because we that prompting that says you're ready, that says I want to do this, that's telling you that you are ready. I think a more appropriate thing to say is start while you're still afraid. Start even though you don't have all the answers. Start even though other people say you shouldn't. That's different than starting before you're ready. I think it's impossible to start before you're ready. Everything you're doing right now is preparing you for the next thing in your life. The last 20 years of my life in corporate America with this amazing group of people who meant I wouldn't be on stage if it wasn't for them. My boss, one of the owners of that organization, pushed me on stage in 2002. And that was the beginning of this journey to retiring at the end of 2016. And for the last five years, we've done over 600 events, been around the world. This message keeps writing itself and revealing itself. And so I look back on that and I say, I was ready. I was ready. And everything leading up to that was preparation. And I don't think I would have had the, the depth of knowledge, the experience, the perspective, the, the, the base of, of humanity that I needed within myself. You know, I still have a lot of baggage. I still have demons that, that try to chase me down from my past. And so all of that preparation led to that moment. And it picked me. It picked me. I, I fought it. I fought it for the last five years of my career because I was getting invited to speak at all these places. I was running three divisions for a multi-billion dollar company. I had a lot of responsibility. I was traveling like crazy. And it all kind of came to a head at the end of 2016. And that was the defining moment. My wife looked at me and she said, you know what you need to do, right? You're the, you're the last one to know. We all know it. We all see it. You're the last one to know. But it had to be in your timing. And and so the bittersweet goodbye to my, my work family and a career that I loved very much became the jumping off point for this career that I have now. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing. And that is really good, wise um, thoughts and advice for any of us. I have to say, doing this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But why didn't it happen before now, Kevin? Gosh darn, why didn't it happen before now? But you know what? When it is the right time, it happens, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, and, and I think part of that, Valerie, is finding our own voice. Part of it is leading up to that moment where I'm giving speeches inside of the company or I'm giving speeches to other organizations, still trying to find my voice. And probably in, in those speeches, you would hear a little bit of Les Brown and a little bit of my, my old friend Keith Harrell and Zig Ziglar. You would hear all of these influences, Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins and all of these influences in my life. But now when I stand on stage, they hear Kevin Brown. And I think that's the difference. You know, if, if you had done this sooner, they would have heard a, a compilation of all of the influences. But right now they get to hear Valerie's voice. They get to hear your wisdom and your insight and, and plug into your story. And I think that's the difference. That, that to me is the difference between somebody trying to be a speaker and somebody who has become one. Very true. 
You have a wonderful new book coming out. Would you tell us about it? And then I'm going to tell the audience a very special thing you're allowing me to do on behalf of it. So tell us. Yeah, we, we are super excited. We have a new book coming out in November. It's called Unleashing Your Hero. And the tagline is really a summation of my life. It's, it's, it, the tagline is this, or the subtitle is this. It's rise above any challenge, expand your impact, and be the hero the world needs you to be. And I think that's, that's my charge to every single human that I talk about uh, or talk to and the people that I talk about. Because when I talk to a group of people, I just wanna leave them with the feeling that there is something in them that the world desperately needs. So many people are going to leave this planet, unfortunately, never having given us the beauty and, and the value of their gifting. Because somewhere along the line, somebody convinced them that they were unworthy or that they didn't really have anything special. And they go through life and they go through the motions, living the old definition of a hero, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, meaning for most of their life, they were simply ordinary. And occasionally they would do something noteworthy and then shrink right back. And if, if I leave nothing on this planet, if I leave no mark other than encouraging people to find that, that special something that's in them. Listen, I watched my wife do this with our son. They told us he wouldn't graduate. They told us he wouldn't do a lot of things. And he's done, he's done everything they said he wouldn't and more. And it's because he had somebody who believed in him, somebody who helped him cast a new vision and somebody who never left his side. And so every single person who sits in an audience, every single person who reads a book of ours, I want them to feel empowered and inspired to find that thing in them that our world desperately needs. And I'm being completely selfish because I want the best of what you have to offer this world. I want the best of what other people, what cures, what innovations, what things would we not have in our world if, if all of the inventors, if all of the dreamers, if all of the creators had just laid down and lived an ordinary life. And that's my charge. And I think that's why I'm here is to help people and push them a little bit and to challenge the status quo in their life and help them find their gifting. That is really going to be a fabulous book. I can't wait to get it. I can't wait to read it. And audience here, and I'm not through with you, Kevin, but I do want to give them uh, what they can do to get the book. Thanks to you, all you have to do, audience, is go to my website, Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com and put in there, in the subject line, Unleashing Your Hero. Unleashing Your Hero, right? And then I will send you a link to pre-order the book. And here is the best thing. Besides the book, you will get these three things. You will get bonus, three superpowers that make good leaders great video, 50 power quotes to make everyday extraordinary, a PDF, and unleashed journal for the first 500 people. So you've got it underneath there. Go do it. Now, Kevin, stay with me because I'm not through yep. with you. I have to ask you some fun questions. Um, what is the funniest thing that ever happened to you as a keynote speaker? <laughs> well, there's been a lot, but I, I'll tell you, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee and had a group of leaders, great group of leaders, a couple hundred people in a room. And the fire alarm went off about 20 minutes into my speech. 
And so we, we literally had to push pause. And when we got the all clear, we came back in and I picked up right where I had left off and felt really, really good about where we were going. And another 10 minutes into the speech, fire alarm goes off again. This happens not only a second time, but it happens a third time. And the third time that it happened, I just kept talking and I talked them all the way out to the parking lot and I finished the keynote in the parking lot. So, you know, when you're dealing with a live show, you, 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 you roll with the flow and you under, it's, it's just a microcosm of life. I mean, life isn't perfect and it never goes as planned. And it's really how we respond to it, how we choose to, to handle the situation. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at laughing at myself. And I work really hard at being positive. I'm not naturally a wired, wired to be a positive person. I didn't grow up that way. And so I, I've really had to learn how to, how to bring levity to every situation. And I think that's where my humor comes in. I have a very, very quick wit and a very strong sense of humor. And so I've learned to use that as a tool. And when things go wrong, we just, we laugh about it. We move on and we make jokes about it. But the thing is, when, when life goes wrong, we just have to keep moving forward. We can't stop. So I just chase these people out to the parking lot, finish my keynote. <laughs> well, what else can you do? Right? <laughs> what else do you do? Well, then what is the silliest thing you've ever done? You? Me personally, the silliest thing I've ever done. That's a really great question. There's probably way more than, um, <laughs> than we have time to get into. But I'll tell you one, it's, and this is a story that's in the new book. When I was seven years old, uh, we, we would go to this cottage once a year for vacation. It was only 30 miles from our home. We didn't have a lot of money. And it was today they would call it a staycation, I'm sure. And we would go to this cottage. I was seven years old. And my, my dad and my brother loved to fish. And my brother's older than me by seven years. And so he and my dad are going out in the boat. And I wanted to go with him. And my dad said, you, you're, you're not going out in the boat. You know, you, you, you talk too much, kind of a pain to deal with. You will get out there and then you'll want to go back. And so we're not doing that. And you can fish off the dock and, and that'll be good enough. And so I was disappointed, but I was excited to go fishing. And I remember the morning I got up and I put my orange life preserver vest on and I had my little, my little junior size rod and reel. And I had a little a styrofoam cup that had some worms in it. And I'd go, go trucking out there to the, to the, to the dock and I'm on the dock and I'm, I'm casting and I'm, I'm trying to act like a big shot and trying to get my dad's attention that I know what I'm doing. And, and I remember I pulled the pole way back over my head and I gave it a, I gave it a, a cast like I've never cast before. But when I cast, I latched onto something and I thought I had a hold of a gigantic fish. But what had happened is I had pulled the pole back so far that I'd actually hooked my own life preserver and I actually cast myself right off the dock into the water. And I remember flailing around in the water. My grandparents were with us on this trip. And I had this, this very strong fear of dying. I thought I was going to drown. And my grandmother came running out of the cottage and she got on the dock, she laid down, she reached out and she's just, she's calling my name. She says, Kevin, calm down, Kevin, it's gonna be okay. Baby, just, just stand up, it's not that deep. And I got my legs under me and I stood up and the water was only about waist deep. And I look back on that. And it is probably one of the silliest things that, I, that I've done, but it's also one of the greatest lessons of my life. And that is sometimes in life, we just have to stand up. Most of the time we're flailing around thinking we're in over our heads. And the truth is, if we would just stand up sometimes, stand up and get our legs under us, stand up and catch our breath, stand up and be strong. 
we find out that we're really not in over our head at all. I, well, I'm still laughing. Derek, my wonderful producer, is laughing behind the wall here. I can just see that, can't you? It and happened. again, it happened. again, Kevin, it, there's just there's just so many real things about you. I'm so glad you took the time. And here's one other thing I want to say to you, and that is, as a motivational speaker, you have not once bragged about yourself. You haven't talked about all the million of of uh, places you've been and things you've done and companies you've spoken to. That's why you're on the show. And I want more people like you on the show. So if you know real people, right, <laughs> you do. send them I my do. way. All right. You like company it. people, too. We need we just need more authenticity in this world. And I want to I want you to leave us with one more thing. I saw on um, one of your videos on the website, you talked to people about dealing with COVID right now. We're still in it. We're still in this Mel of a Hess. That's from Texas, you know. Yes. Can you share just one or two things that you that you yourself practice that can help us real things? Yeah. Anything. Give us yeah, some hope. Absolutely. Yeah, COVID COVID has has obviously rocked everybody's world. I, I didn't I didn't realize the magnitude of it last March. I was on the road. I was busy. I, I knew there was something going on. And on March 12th, I was scheduled to speak in Philadelphia. I was in my hotel room preparing. And two hours before the event, I got a call from the CEO that said, we can't do this. Event. Um, and they, they shut it down. I went to the airport. And that's when it became really real. And over the last 18 months or so, one of the things I have told every single client of ours is that, look, this is a season, a tragic uh, season like we've never seen. And for all of the tragedy and for all of the heartache and the, the lives lost, the families impacted, the, the, the frontline workers, the heroes emerging at every level in our society. We see them in grocery stores and gas stations, and hospitals and, and healthcare facilities. We see heroes that were probably probably invisible to us before all of this. And I think that's a there's, there's a great lesson in this. And, and I, I call it the law of awareness. When you become aware of something, you start to see it everywhere you go. Whether it's a car that you buy, a sweater you buy, a handbag, a backpack, a laptop, you never saw it until you bought it and then everybody had it. And I think in this season of COVID, we, we start to see people who have emerged as heroes, people who have always been there doing heroic things. We just didn't know it. And so my, my great hope and my great prayer are, are a couple of things. Number one, that we recognize COVID as a season and not a new normal. This is not our new normal. This is not, um, this is not permanent. I, I understand we'll live with some strain, some variation of this, but that's, how, that, that's the life cycle of the virus. But this is not a new normal and we should not treat it as a new normal. This is a season. And seasons come and seasons go. And the question is, what did we do with this season to get better? So many people hunkered down and just tried to hold on through this. And one thing I know for sure is that there is no staying the same in this life. We are either moving forward or we're sliding backwards and the choice is always ours. This is not our first crisis. It will not be our last crisis. 
And so what did we do during this season to be better equipped, to be stronger, to find new pathways to serve people and to take care of each other? The other thing that I really hope is that we start to see each other again, because right now our kindness in this world has eroded. And I really thought that this season of COVID would help us understand that we take a lot of things for granted. I thought this season of COVID would help us realize that technology is vital for doing business, but we need human connection for doing life. And I honestly thought COVID would help us to see each other and to recognize each other and to be a little kinder. And quite frankly, I'm not seeing that yet. And so that's my great prayer is that we'll be kind to one another, that we'll be patient with one another, that we will look out for one another as we go forward, as we find our way out of this season. Because the truth is we're, we haven't all been in the same boat, but we've all been in the same storm. And if we can't learn to find our humanity and, and, and suppress our humanness, then we've got bigger problems than COVID. Yes, yes, and yes. And audience, if I had to tag on to that and just add one more thing, I see the anger every day. I experience it every day. In my condominium, we are fine if we have had the shot not to wear the mask down the hall, just down the hall. And so I don't. And I see people with masks on glaring at me, won't even speak to me. So I'm just going to add one more thing to what Kevin said. I'm trying, that's the optimal word, to learn to just inside first, come out, smile. Just smile. Because you know what? When we smile, there's something about we can't get too angry. Force it if you have to. <laughs> but smile. Be respectful. Give grace to yourself and to other people. Kevin, wow, this has been an incredible time. You are a busy man, I know that. And I thank you and your wonderful PR person named Michelle who's listening. Thank you. God bless you too for all you do. And audience, remember now, Unleashing Your Hero is coming in November. And Back to what you can see at the bottom of the screen. You can pre-order it, plus get all those bonuses. So just email me, Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com. You know the rest that I've already told you to do. Kevin, God bless you from the bottom of my heart. Have a wonderful rest of the year and rest of your life. Bye you for too, now. You too, my friend. Take care of yourself. I'll see you soon. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.